alone is deserving of all praise and all glory, and we magnify Him, and we bless Him, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Eternal God. I'm thankful for the privilege to be with you today, and God's goodness to me and Terry to be able to visit once again this side of the glory. It's always a pleasure to be here. We're thankful for your fellowship in the gospel, and good, uh, good just to hear what God's been doing, prayers He's answered. It's Good to see Brother Earl continue to come along. We thank God for his progress and I just trust the Lord continue to meet those needs of his people here specifically. And uh, trust they'll be uh, continued as well. Favor the Lord might show our country, our land. Uh, we need that, long for that. So let's look to the Word of God again, brothers and sisters. I'd invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning in the uh, Sunday school hour, we looked at Isaiah chapter 7 and uh, <clears throat> particularly focused around the virgin birth prophecy there, but with the background that was uh, given in the chapter, we looked at that a bit too. And I, I'd like for us now to turn to another prophecy within this same portion of Isaiah that uh, we could think about and look at together. And uh, we'll read beginning there at verse 1. We'll read down through to verse 7. But it's a a word really from verse 6 that I want to lift before you this evening in the Lord's will. So if we could pick up then in the reading of God's word at verse 1 of chapter 9. And uh, then follow through to verse 7. Nevertheless the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joyed before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warriors with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, we want to consider together this portion and again specifically as we've said from verse 6 one, one word that's used of our Savior and as we do that let's just ask our God's blessing again as we look to His Word. Father we are grateful we can bow before You once again in the name of this one of whom we read in Isaiah 9. Father how we bless You and thank You for the Word that You have sent to us Father. You could have left us to ourselves, Father, to perish, but You would not do that. In Your great grace and mercy, You sent the Lord Jesus, Father. You purposed before the world began that He would come into this world. 
And he would indeed do as the angel declared to Joseph. He would save his people from their sin. Thank you, Father, for thy goodness to us in providing this great one, the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would bless us now as we consider these words. And Father, beyond them, we think of him and we give you glory in that worthy name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, as we look tonight to God's Word, particularly I want to lift before you those words of verse 6, which we read of our Savior. And as we do, Isaiah writes in the middle of that verse, and His name shall be called Wonderful. I want us to consider that word together and as we do to think about not only these words in Isaiah 9, but a little bit beyond Isaiah uh, and in Isaiah to uh, consider the Savior as He is presented here by the prophet in these words that really continue to build upon what we have in Isaiah 7 as we have that prophecy of the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it continues on into chapter, really chapter 12, where we have the song of Israel's deliverance. And many see in chapter 7 through 12 of the book of Isaiah, some would include chapter 6, what they call the book of Emmanuel. That is a portion that focuses in God's declaration of judgment against Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, and Judah, the southern kingdom. As God speaks of judgment, God speaks not only of judgment, but God speaks of mercy as well. God speaks not only of the destruction that would come because of their sin and rebellion, but He also speaks of the deliverance He would bring, and apart from them deliverance that comes through the person of His Son. It's good to know as we reflect on that, as Habakkuk spoke in Habakkuk 3, that in wrath our God remembers mercy. He's that kind of God, and I'm glad. He could have condemned all the race of Adam, had it pleased Him. He'd have still gone on being God. He'd have not been any less deficient in His divine, sufficient being. And yet, in mercy, He's been pleased to visit the sons of men. And you and I are the beneficiaries and recipients of it by His grace. I'm thankful for that mercy. And I'm glad for it. But by way of a title, I'd like to give you this. Isn't He Wonderful? That's not original with me. Some of you will recognize it's a chorus often sung by children, but I think it's much more than a children's chorus. Isn't He wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? As His seniors have heard, it's recorded in God's Word. Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? And then another song that reflects, I think, this theme of Isaiah his name is wonderful. I think Ms. Audrey Meyer wrote that. I believe I have the name right. But uh, His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. It's tremendous to reflect on that. Uh, you have in this time of the year at Christmas, we have the song that is not of a uh, nature about our Lord, but Andy Williams sings, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Well... I don't know if Mr. Williams knew the Lord. I, I would hope that he did. But I know this. If you know Him, every time of the year can be the most wonderful time of the year. Because He is wonderful. I'd like for us to think together about that word particularly. But as you read the words of Isaiah chapter 9, as we did through verse 7, there's a focus in those opening words that lead up to verse 6 on God's deliverance to His people as the light shines in Galilee. Now that light light shone personally 
in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew in Matthew 4 records how in His public preaching and teaching and healing ministry, the Lord Jesus did that as He ministered in that period of the Galilean ministry. He healed, He went about doing good, healing and teaching, and the light shone in the darkness of that land. It was a land that had suffered because of the uh, realities of, of what would happen with the judgment that fell through the Assyrians. And then later, nations would come and they would uh, pass through the land. But it speaks of a time that's coming when war will end. When there will be no more war. When all that will be done with the weapons of war is they will be given to the burning and fuel of fire. Thank God that day's coming. We'll look at that even, the Lord willing, in, in a small measure in the 11th chapter of Isaiah as we make reference to that. But as we reflect on what Isaiah writes, I want you to notice again verse 6 and allow me to read it in your hearing. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. As we read those words again, I want to lift before you, as I've said, that phrase, His name shall be called Wonderful. Now, it might be good to do a little bit of housekeeping as we look at that, because some of the translations don't put a comma after Wonderful. They read it instead, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But in our King James Version, we have a comma there. And I have to tell you, thank God for the comma. Now, I believe He's a Wonderful Counselor, but I believe that that name Wonderful deserves a treatment in and of itself. For His name is, His name shall be called Wonderful. He is one who is marked by that kind of character. He's marked by that which is full of wonder. And as we could say, awful but in the old sense. Awful today means terrible, but in the new sense that awful does. Terrible used to mean fearful. And awful used to mean full of awe. And that's what our Lord Jesus Christ is. Paul David Tripp, who has been a, a preacher, teacher, and as well counselor, uh, the Lord has used within the last 20 years, I guess especially, his brother Ted Tripp, also a pastor, wrote some books about child rearing, very important. But Paul David Tripp wrote a book in which he focused on that word awe. A-W-E. Now it's easy in the South to think we're saying all, I guess, right? But all... A-W-E, and he asks the question, have you lost the awe? And what he means by that is, the thing that we have in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, the relationship we have with the living God, is something that should bring awe, a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of amazement to us. And that, I believe, is what we find when we take that word by itself. His name shall be called Wonderful. I wouldn't deny He's a wonderful counselor, but He's wonderful, comma. And as we think of that, I want you to consider with me, first of all, by way of definition, that word wonderful. In Hebrew, it's the word Pele. Now, when I grew up, 
There was a soccer player by that name who was very popular. Don't confuse yourself. I may have confused you if I'm mentioning that. But Pele in Hebrew is a word that has, a, of course, the translation wonderful, but along with it is included these ideas that give it a wider range of meaning that expands for our thinking wonderful. That word Pele, wonderful, means miraculous, marvelous, unique, distinctive, unusual, supernatural, full of wonder, amazing, extraordinary. I want to repeat those since I gave them to you about nine meanings in a shot. I don't know that you'll write them all down. You can obviously, I guess, pick it up by way of uh, recording. But miraculous, marvelous, unique, distinctive, unusual, supernatural, full of wonder, amazing, extraordinary. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ is as we think about Him and as we consider that in the light of Isaiah 9 but also in the light of some of the broader context of Isaiah 9, those chapters 7 through 12 and then as well we think about the broader book of Isaiah and beyond that Scripture itself. There's that, I believe, which shows to us that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed wonderful. He is indeed extraordinary. He is indeed supernatural. He is indeed amazing. He is indeed miraculous and full of wonder. All of those things apply to Him. Now, in that regard, I ask you to look with me at verse 6 again and think with me particularly of how the Lord Jesus Christ is wonderful first of all in His person. Notice the words that begin verse 6. We read there, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. When we read those words, it's easy to take them as parallel. Indeed, almost synonymous. Unto us a child is born, and then a repetition, unto us a son is given. But I think if we look rightly at those words, we will not see a repetition. But rather we'll see, while there is a parallelism, we'll see that there is, alongside of those two statements, a distinction to be drawn as well. In His humanity, the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed a child born. As He entered this world naturally, not in His conception, but in His birth, He would have entered like so many of us have entered. Through, from the womb of a woman into this world. Now, in His conception, He was just different. But in His birth, there would have been really very little unique about that. A child is born unto us, Isaiah says. But then he adds, unto us a son is given. And in that we see a distinction from him being born as a child. In his sonship, he was given because his sonship did not begin with his birth. His birth was that which marked his humanity, but his sonship marked his deity. He's the everlasting Son of God the Father. And because He's God's eternal Son, He was in His birth as a child, He was the Son who was given. And I don't know, but the, the, the Lord Jesus may have had these words of, of Isaiah 9-6 in His mind and on His heart when He spoke with Nicodemus about the new birth and faith in Himself in John chapter 3. Most of you could quote John chapter 3. I'd be surprised if if any of you can't. 
First Bible verse I memorized. But we read there, we have there in those words, the Lord Jesus' statement to Nicodemus. Some believe that the, the uh, words of the evangelist John take over before that, but I personally believe that our Lord Jesus is continuing to preach the Gospel to Nicodemus in that night interview when Nicodemus came to Him alone at night. And our Lord Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those words reflect the same thought of Isaiah 9-6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The Father gave the Son, because the Son was with the Father before His birth. The Son indeed was with the Father before the world began. Now, I can't, as I think of that, wrap my mind around it fully. In my mind and thinking, the sons that I have all had an origin after me because I'm their father. And yet, because the Son Himself is the brightness and fullness of the Father's glory, because He is the express image, as Hebrews 1.3 says, the express image of the Father's person, because that is true, it means that every attribute the Father possesses, the Son possesses. In other words, if the Father possesses righteousness, the Son possesses righteousness. If the Father possesses omniscience, the Son possesses, omni- possesses omniscience. Now, what's another attribute of the Father? Eternality. In other words, He's eternal. So if the Son's the express image of the Father, what does that mean? He possesses the attribute of eternality just like the Father. And so, He's the Son who is given. He's the eternal Son of God given by God the Father in His great mercy to sinners. Now again, I can't wrap my mind around that, but I know the Bible teaches it, so I bow to it. Now, let me just make a caveat here, a word of warning. There's some who come knocking on your door. A lot of times Saturday morning, the worst time they can may show up, and they're toting their trash. They say they're on the watchtower and they're awake, but they're neither one. Because if they were truly awake, they would understand who Jesus is and they do not. They will tell you that Jesus is a lesser God than Jehovah. And that's a lie. Jesus Christ is absolute deity. That's why He can say, as we quoted this morning, the words of John 8.58, before Abraham was, I am. And that is the name that God revealed. And if God permit, we'll even look at that in Exodus 3 a little later as we think about the person of the Son as God, as God the Son. In regard to that, then we see even here something of the mystery, something of the wonder of His person, something of the supernatural character of His person, that extraordinary and miraculous person that He is, as in Him, in His person, as God and man, the nature of deity and the nature of humanity are perfectly joined together. How can it be? can't explain it, but I can proclaim it. And that's what I do. can't fully wrap my mind around it, and yet I know it's so. Because that's the person of the Savior, brothers and sisters. Now, in regard to that, 
I'd ask you to think with me about something else that is said a little later in Isaiah chapter 11. In the words of verse 1, we read about our Lord Jesus Christ with these words. And again, this continues that focus on Him and His person within the words of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, we read, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, as you go back to chapter 10, you'll find that, as we mentioned this morning in a passing way, that the Assyrian, that would be the king of Assyria who was going to come down in judgment on Ephraim or Israel, the northern kingdom, but also he would rise up like a swelling current, it says in Isaiah against Jerusalem and against Judah. But he would not be successful in taking them captive. But God likens him to an axe in chapter 10. And an axe is used to fell trees. And that's what God was going to use him to do, Isaiah 10 tells us, against the nations of the earth in the Middle East at the time of Isaiah. The Assyrian was going to be like an axe, and he was going to chop down the kingdoms of men. He would even chop down Ephraim. He would try to chop against Jerusalem, but he'd be unsuccessful. Now as God speaks of that, He speaks as it were of the kingdoms then as like fallen trunks or stumps rather, uh, trunks of fallen trees there. One thing that happens when you fell a tree, we had our next door neighbor, uh, or rather the owner of the house next door this past week, uh, they were having some trees felled. And they had the stump grinder working too. Now I used to help a preacher friend with a stump grinder. This was a heavy duty stump grinder they had. It wasn't one of those push coalers like we had. It was it was big, big major. Well, why do they grind that stump? Well, one reason they do it is to get rid of the tree. Because if you leave that trunk, it seems inevitably a shoot is going to come springing out of it. And if you don't deal with that, you're going to have a tree on your hands coming out of that fallen stump. Well, that's the picture of Isaiah 11.1. As the kingdoms of men have been felled, there's a shoot, a rod, a sprout out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Branch was a common title for Messiah in the Old Testament. Here it's used again by Isaiah. And uh, he seems to be the one from whom it originated prophetically and by the inspiration of God's Spirit. But as that branch grows out of his roots, we have there a, a reference to the humanity of the Lord Jesus. In His humanity... He came from Jesse. Remember, Jesse was the father of David. And that branch would grow out of his, that is, Jesse's roots. But then, if you will, drop down in Isaiah chapter 11 to the words of verse 10. And notice what Isaiah says. Isaiah 11 verse 10 we read, And and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people to it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Now notice the wording of Isaiah 11.10. Again, speaking about our Lord Jesus Messiah, it says of Him, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Now you go back to verse 1, He's called the rod, the sprout, the the, uh, stem of Jesse. But in verse... He's called the root of Jesse. Now, brothers and sisters, I can't do the shtick too good. You know, the Jewish shtick. I'm not from Brooklyn. <laughs> but but uh, 
I wonder if some of Isaiah the prophet's hearers, when they heard Isaiah give this prophecy, said, Now, Brother Isaiah, which is it? Is he the rod of Jesse or is he the root of Jesse? I mean, after all, there is a difference between a sprout that grows out of a trunk and the one who's the root of the trunk, right? And I believe Isaiah's answer would have been, as I may have told you before, one time I was eating at the home of Deacon Jesse Benson, preached at Leighton Chapel Baptist Church down below Lillington, in between Lillington and the Spring Lake. Ms. Ms. Uh, Benson had us over for a meal along with her husband and family that afternoon. She looked at me as she was about to have the meal ready to eat. She said, Brother David, would you like cornbread or biscuits? And I said, yes. (laughs) And when the Jews of Isaiah's day would have said, Isaiah, which is he? Is he the rod of Jesse or is he the root of Jesse? Isaiah would have said, yes. For you see, in his humanity... He's the rod who comes from Jesse because Jesse was David's father. But in his deity, he's the root of Jesse and the root of every one of us. For we all take our beginning, our origin from him. By him where it was everything made. And without him was not anything made that was made, John says in John 1. Why? Because that's the wonder of his person. He is in his humanity the rod of Jesse. He's in his deity, his godhood. He is the root of Jesse. And that's what Isaiah presents to us about a Savior. Now, as people read that, they wonder, well, could it be that Isaiah would have seen who he was even before he came into flesh? Well, I don't think we have to wonder about that. The testimony of Scripture is clear. Who is the one whom the virgin would conceive and give birth to in Isaiah 7, 14? Behold, a virgin, therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. That's the one who would be given birth by Mary, the virgin. One who is Emmanuel. This is something we see as well in the Scriptures earlier in the Old Testament. Turn back with me to the book of Judges, please. As we think about our Savior and that name that He bears is wonderful. Look with me please in Judges chapter 13 where we read the birth announcement of Samson. I love the way God does birth announcements, brothers and sisters. Judges chapter 13, we read how Samson's birth is announced to Mrs. Manoah. Her husband's name Manoah, she's not named, so we call them Mr. and Mrs. Manoah, just to be accurate. Now, in the book of Judges, and as I say, I love the way God does birth announcements. We normally do a birth announcement after the arrival of the baby. We'll say the baby was so many pounds and so many ounces, so many inches, and we give the name and might say a note, mother and baby are doing fine. But God doesn't do birth announcements that way. He does the birth announcement before the baby comes. He does it in some cases before the baby's even conceived. And that's what happens in the birth of this judge of Israel, Samson, here. God comes to Mrs. Manoah and Manoah's wife and says, you're going to have a son. But actually the one who comes is the angel of the Lord, verse 3. 
And this angel of the Lord is a distinctive messenger. Remember, the word angel is really, but in, in, in Greek, through, through, through Latin to our English, the word angel is but a word messenger. In Greek, the word angelos means messenger. In Latin, it made its way angelus to angel in our English language. And that word is really the same as the Hebrew word malach, which means messenger. Sometimes it's used of a messenger that is celestial. That is a messenger who is a celestial created being that we commonly use the term angel to refer to. Sometimes it may refer to a human messenger. Sometimes it refers to a special divine messenger who is indeed heavenly or celestial, but he's not created. He's one who comes from Jehovah, and yet as he speaks, it's clear he is Jehovah. And what we have is the pre-incarnate Christ there. What we have is God's dear Son in his pre-incarnate form who would come ultimately as the Word... God's vocabulary, if you will, God's alphabet, and He comes in that way to declare the Word on behalf of His Father, whom He represents fully because He bears the full nature of the Father. He is God. And that's what we have here in the case of this birth announcement. Now, as uh, the angel, the messenger, the Malach Adonai, the, the, the angel of Jehovah, the messenger of Jehovah appears again, it's evident that he's more than more than man. And what happens is he announces the birth, but Manoah isn't there, so Ms. Manoah says, Man of God came to me, told me we're going to have a child. He says, Well, Lord, let that let that messenger appear again. And the Lord does. Let's pick up at verse 8 and read it. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, Oh my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst sin come again unto us. And teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spake to the woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order? the child and how shall we do unto him and the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah of all that I said unto the woman let her beware she may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine neither let her drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing all that I command her let her observe and Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord I pray thee let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee and the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah though thou detain me I will not eat of thy bread and if thou would offer a burnt offering thou must offer it unto the Lord for Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord and Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord what is thy name that when thy sayings come to pass we may do thee honor and the angel of the Lord said unto him why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? That word secret is the word Pele in Hebrew. Wonderful. What we have is the pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what happens after that. Verse 19. So Manoah took a kid with the meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. What would you expect if his name's called Wonderful. 
The angel did wondrously, the messenger did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die but because we have seen God. Notice the words. In other words, he recognized the divine character of this messenger here. And as he did, his wife does some good reasoning. Thank you, ladies, for helping us men sometimes. Even you, Terry, yes. She looked like she was not, not believing me on that one. You know, There was a, a slight smirk on that. But notice what Ms. Manoah reasons. Verse 23, if the Lord, but his wife said unto him, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands, neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would as at this time have told us such things as these. Now that's good reasoning. First of all, she says, the Lord accepted our sacrifice. That means he favors us. But not only that, he's told us we're going to have a child. Guess what? If we die, we can't have that baby. She's thinking pretty clear here. But Manoah realizes that he's seeing something beyond the normal here. Now go back with me to Exodus chapter 3 at which we said we would like to look. In Exodus the third chapter, please, notice what we have is Moses is given his marching orders from God to go down to Egypt and to... Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let's read beginning at Exodus 3 verse 1. And we'll read through a little bit farther into, uh, into the chapter. This is a familiar scene, I know. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now again, notice in verse 2 it says this is the angel of the Lord. But again, we have to distinguish between a created heavenly being, as we think of angels generally, and Malak as a messenger. Angel in the sense of messenger. For we're going to find that this messenger is not a created heavenly being. He is rather God Himself. Now as we read of Him, we read on verse 3, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now notice verse 4, And when the Lord saw that He turned aside to see, God called unto Him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and He said, Here am, here I, here am I. Now notice who saw Him. The Lord, all caps, that's the name Jehovah. The Lord saw that He turned aside. God called to Him out of the bush. It's as though our Lord wants to reinforce the fact that the one who's in the bush, though called the angel of the Lord, is in fact, in, in fact Himself the Lord God. Now as we read on, 
Verse 5, And He said, Draw not nigh hither, put, thy, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover He said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now notice clearly here, though we have the angel of the Lord as the one who appears, this is more than man, this is more than a created heavenly being. This is none other than God Himself appearing. And yet He comes as a messenger. He comes from God, but He comes as God. The only way we can figure that out is to realize that here we have a picture of the Trinity in the Old Testament. Here we have an anticipation of what God would more fully reveal as Father, Son, and Spirit in the New Testament Scriptures. And this is our Lord Jesus Christ. But if I may, let me ask you to drop down with me please as Moses has a conversation with the Lord about his mission to go down to Egypt and to see the children of Israel liberated. In verse 13 of Exodus 3 we read, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is His name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And He said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Now, this is the name God gives Himself. And when you see the word Lord or God in all capital letters in the Old Testament, it is a, an abbreviation, if you will, an abbreviated form of that I Am name of God that speaks of who He is in His essential person. You see, every one of us, and even the angelic beings who are created heavenly beings, they have to say, and we have to say, I Am because He is. But God is able to say, I am that I am. I am because that's because He has being in Himself. I don't even like to say that God exists because He has more than existence. He has being wrapped up in Himself. That's the God of the Bible. And He is eternally in that being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus Christ is wonderful in that His person, brothers and sisters, His person is seen in His being absolutely man and absolutely God. Some have expressed it this way to make the point. He's as much man as though He were not God and as much God as though He were not man. And yet He's both. And because of that, He's fit and fully qualified to be the Savior we need. Paul expresses it this way in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. A mediator is able to take hold of both sides, right? And He's the mediator between God and men. Who is He? The man, Christ or Messiah Jesus. His manhood spoken of there but also His deity. For the Messiah that the prophets expected would be fully God. He would be the one who would bear in Himself, in His actual person, the essence of deity. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that sense, we see Him as the one brothers and sisters who in His person is wonderful. Now, 
I had a lot more to say. And I'm going to say a little more of it, but I'm not going to say it as much because of the fact that we spent more time thinking about His person. But I trust in, in the goodwill of God that was helpful. Let me ask you to go back to the book of Genesis, please, before we move to that, <clears throat> that remaining element. Genesis chapter 32. This is one of my favorite scenes of the Bible. Some of you may remember it. Jacob has been, after stealing his brother's blessing from Daddy Isaac, he's been 20 years in Padan Aram, that is Mesopotamia up there in Syria. He's headed back home, and as he's headed home, he hears that Esau is coming with 400 men. And Jacob didn't think that sounded like welcome wagon. It wasn't. And he's scared for his life. Somebody said he practiced the five points of connivism when he learned he was coming. He did. He's still a conniver, but he knew he needed greater help than that. Twenty years before, he had stolen a blessing from his father, but now he realizes he needs a greater blessing. And that's what we see him receiving in Genesis 32. He sends his family on over at the brook Jabbok. And and as, as they go over... We read this in verse 24 of Genesis 32. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed them there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now notice the words here that speak of this wrestling match that Jacob had. As Jacob begins going back home, he hears Esau's coming with 400 men. As he's left alone, having sent his family, his herds, his flocks over, and he's there at the brook, left alone, a man meets him and begins to wrestle with him. But he's more than man. And as that man meets him, they're in a struggle. Now, I I may have told you before, I have a cousin who was a wrestler. I know y'all can tell it runs in the family, right? Why are y'all laughing? Actually, Sweet Stan Lane, he lives over in uh, Greensboro. His, his mother, my Aunt Jean, his, his mom's sister, only one living in mom's generation, turned 100 back in October, October 6th. And I look forward to seeing her maybe this week, God willing. Stan Lane was a member of the Midnight Express. Beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan, they were managed by Jim Cornette who carried a tennis racket. Some of you remember. I see Kent's head shaking. I saw Gary smile. Well, I wouldn't want to wrestle Stan. He's not been a wrestler for some time, but he's still pretty buff, if you know what I mean. Well, Jacob, I'm sure, was pretty sinewy. 
He had kept the sheep of his father, your father-in-law, for years. He'd been a hard worker. I'm sure he's in his 90s now, though. And he meets a man who wrestles with him. Now, the nature of the match was not in this corner we have and in this corner we have. But as they wrestle, I'm convinced that the man who met him could have out-wrestled him. As a matter of fact, he could have not even wrestled him and still pinned him for more than a three count. But there is something that God puts in the souls of sinners that He loves. When a sinner has come face to face with his or her sin and realizes how desperately they need a Savior, God loves the holy violence of faith that will wrestle with Him. I used to not like the song, I Would Not Be Denied. I don't know if you remember it, I Would Not Be Denied. And it has this stanza in it. It's Jacob, uh, in the days of old I wrestled with the Lord. An instant with the courage bold, uh, I stood upon His word. I used to not like that song, I Would Not Be Denied, because I thought it was too free will. But then I realized, oh no, the example of Jacob, it's not free will at all. When God works in the heart of the sinner, God makes that sinner determined that they will lay hold of Christ. God, by His sovereign grace, making that sinner willing in the day of His power, puts in them a holy boldness that says, Lord, I know that man can't give me what I need. I know that I can't find what I need in myself, Lord. I can only find it in You. And Jacob with that kind of holy boldness produced by the grace of God, lays hold of this man that's wrestling with him. And the man doesn't prevail. Now, I, I, I like the way the, the, the Scriptures read it. That, that It says that when he saw that he prevailed not, he touched the hollow of his thigh. That man touched the, the hollow of Jacob's thigh and all of a sudden a sinew shrank in Jacob. The sinew of his thigh, thigh shrank. Pardon me, my tongue's getting wrapped around my teeth again. But, but that should have made it impossible. I mean, how can you keep a stance against a man you're wrestling with if you can't even lean on one leg? But again, grace had done something in Jacob that made him realize that the blessing he needed wasn't the blessing he stole from his brother and his dad 20 years before. The blessing he needed was that which God alone could give. The blessing that David spoke of in Psalm 32 when he said, Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. Blessed is the man whose iniquity the Lord will not impute to him. And so Jacob continues to wrestle. And at that point, when the man says, let me go for days breaking, Jacob says, not till you bless me. And at that point, the man says, what is your name? Jacob now has to acknowledge what he is. His name, Yaakov in Hebrew, Jacob, means he will supplant. He will take by the heel. He'll trip up. Trickster, if you will. Cheat. Jacob has to say, Lord, this is what I am. 
Blessed is the man who, in whose spirit there's no guile. It says in Psalm 32, verse 2, it says when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. And Jacob comes on holy ground. But with this man, he says, I'm Jacob. At that point, the man declares something to him that is really a statement of blessing, but also a statement of forgiveness. Verse 28, and he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. This man Jacob had laid hold of the living God by faith. He laid hold of the living God in repentance and faith over what he was, but knowing that God alone could bless him. And by grace, he prevailed. Now, that can only happen when God wills it. Because you ain't going to beat God. That's an impossibility. Our finite strength meeting His omnipotence, oh, He can take us. But in mercy, He loves the boldness that His faith put in His people produces. And This man receives a new name. And may I say it, he's been given sinners new names ever since. And it's because he bears that name wonderful. Now, Jacob asked about his name as well. We saw that earlier in chapter 13 of Judges, didn't we? Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And the man answers very much like Jacob, like Manoah had received an answer. In Judges 13, Wherefore it is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. He conferred blessing on him. And what does Jacob do? He calls the name of that place Peniel, also Penuel later in the text. That name means face of God. For Jacob said, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Whom did Jacob see? He saw the one whose name is wonderful. Now, as I said, I had a lot of points to go on to by way of summary. I'm not going to go there. I hope we've traveled enough through this passage that we can see what a wonderful Savior He is. Mr. Elisha Hoffman, we've had the privilege of preaching in the county up there in Pennsylvania where Elisha Hoffman, who wrote many hymns, lived. The Red Church up there, they call it, right there on Pennsylvania Highway 61 near Orangeburg is where his father was pastor. We have some friends who live right there and in whose home we stayed there. Elisha Hoffman wrote a hymn, Christ hath for sin atonement made. What a wonderful Savior. We are redeemed, the price is paid. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Jesus. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. Brothers and sisters, I'd conclude tonight by asking you, isn't He wonderful? What a great Savior we have. The One who is God and man came down to this low ground of sorrow saying, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the will of Him that sent me. Of all that the Father's given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. This season of the year, throughout the year, may we be, by His grace, a people who would live to the honor of Him 
whose name is wonderful. Yes, Ms. Meyer was right. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He's the great Shepherd. Rock of all ages. Almighty God is He. Bow down before Him. Love and adore Him. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord.